Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 36. And the last time the title of the message was Contrasting Cultures and really we can make the dichotomy between the culture of believers or the Christian culture and people who truly have a relationship with Jesus Christ and there is a difference. Uh, This morning (laughs) the title of the message is called Psychological Warfare. Now you've heard the term in war where sides not only shoot with bullets and mortars, but they um, try to demoralize their opponent. Um, You've probably seen it, if you know anything about gang activity, to weaken their victims. Uh, Bullying has elements of this, and so does domestic violence. Uh, There's a lot of written works that speak about the art of psychological warfare. Sun Tzu, the great Chinese general and strategist, uh, his book, The Art of War, read by militaries all over the world. Uh, Saul Alinsky wrote Rules for Radicals, how to defeat his political opponents. And and a lot of these have dirty tricks in them and and things that just aren't fair. And of course, the various communist manifestos that have been circulated, even the communist way or idea about infiltrating the West. So what does all this have in common? Well, What what has in common is the fact that Satan, the fallen angel, Lucifer, the adversary, the liar, the deceiver, all these names for him, he's the prototype. He's the one that started all this. He's the one that tempted sin into the world, and uh, he continues to do his work even up to today. But it's really important because as Christians, we talk a lot about spiritual warfare, and we should. We speak about the body and healing. But sometimes we leave out the emotional component to it. This is very, very important. The emotions, the psyche, the things that go on inside of our heads that sometimes we can't always even figure out ourselves. So if you've been struggling with anything, I think you're going to be blessed. At the very least, knowledge is power to understand a lot of the root of these things. And we're going to take this in seven parts. So if we could jump in, Isaiah 36. Verse 1, now it came to pass in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, going back to the turn of the, between the 8th century B.C. and the 7th century B.C., that Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah, or the southern kingdom of Israel, and took them. Then the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh, or the field commander, with a great army from Lashish, which is about, it's in Judah, about 30 miles southwest of Jerusalem, to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And he stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. And Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna, the scribe, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to him. So these are um, King Hezekiah's men of, of Jerusalem. He sends them out. And they speak to this person. Now, as I'm having a discussion, we can kill the lights and play this video. This was actual 
taken from the Assyrian Empire, the Assyrian palace. And what happens is in the 1800s, the mid-1800s, the British uh, excavated these ruins in what's known today as Mosul, Iraq. And what happened from there is they found this one, this King uh, Sennacherib, he had this one palace uh, and he had all these gypsum reliefs of his conquests. And one of his great last battles in Israel was the siege of Lachish. Now, as you can see, this is a room, and these things are like seven or eight feet high. And this is, this is kind of where I talk about proving the Bible through archaeology. We're all going to meet people that are kind of snotty and, and, and kind of haughty about the things of God. And a lot of their arguments don't hold water because everything that the Bible said has especially been proven not only in the sciences but specifically archaeology. So you can see it must have been a painstaking process for them to get these reliefs from Mosul all the way to, they're actually in the British Museum today, they're still there. Um, and that's what I do on Sunday mornings, you know, because we, have, we live in a, an age where a lot of people are antagonistic to the things of God. So I'm also, part of what I do on Sunday morning is build you up so that you know why you believe what you believe about your faith. Now think about this. Sennacherib, the king, he sends the Rabshakeh, they take over Lachish. You're in Jerusalem. You're in a walled city. Lachish was also a walled city high up, and the Assyrians got in there. So, and you got this Rabshakeh standing by the aqueduct. Not by accident. The aqueduct was the thing that fed the city with water. It's psychological warfare. His attitude towards the believers was, he, he made himself a god. I have power over your life and your death. And that was his, his haughty attitude towards the people. Assyria, we're going to find, because Assyria, if you want to use a cliche, sold its soul to the devil. They were demonic. So when we read about God wiping out 185,000 of their army, and now Assyria starts to decline, we don't feel sorry for them. Because their atrocity, atrocities were horrific, what they did to their victims. So you can see Assyria as a picture of Satan and his demons attacking believers. Right? You can, you can, we're going to flip-flop. We're going to make parallels. If I could put up 1 Peter 5, 8-9. through 9, He says to the believer, be sober, be vigilant, be watchful. Don't be asleep spiritually. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. Resist him, because we can. A lot of Christians don't know that. Steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. The inhabitants of Jerusalem were a type of believers who were going through a tragedy and trying to find their way through this tragedy, an attack, an assault on their faith. Warren Wiersbe said this, I love this, he says, a crisis doesn't make a person, but it shows what a person is made of. I'll read that again. A crisis doesn't make a person, but it reveals, it shows what a person is made of. Continuing on, verse 4. Then the Rabshakeh, or the field commander, said to them, Say now to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, What confidence is this in which you trust? I say you speak of having counsel and strength for war, but they are vain words. Now in whom do you trust that you rebel against me? Look, you are trusting in the staff of the broken reed. 
Egypt on which if a man leans, it will go into his hands and pierce it. So, so is Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who trust in him. And again, metaphors are used a lot in the scripture, colloquialisms back in the day, but uh, a reed or like a walking stick, something you lean on for support, like a, our modern day cane. He said, you guys are relying on Egypt, and Egypt is like, it's not even a solid piece of wood. It's like a reed. If it breaks, it's going to go through your hand. So, good point. Um, sometimes, <laughs> well, let me back up for a minute. One out of seven is an attack on trusting faulty alliances. And sometimes the devil actually tells the truth. When he wants to humiliate us, when he wants to demoralize us, we know the truth about a lot of things about ourselves. But he tries to compound it where God wants to forgive. You see what I'm saying? So the, uh, the children of Israel, the, those in Jerusalem, actually were relying on Egypt and they shouldn't have done that. This was a rebuke, right? God told them not to do it and they did it anyway and he caused more problems. And this is why we need to know God's word as believers, right? We need to be Bible literate. I speak about that a lot because the devil will use the word. Sometimes he'll tell the truth. Sometimes he'll twist it. Sometimes it's all lies. Sometimes it's truth. Sometimes it's mostly truth mixed with some lies, just enough to turn us and, and throw us off the scent, off the, off the pack, so to speak. Now, if you look at in the garden with Satan, right, going to Eve, what did he say? Let me paraphrase it. I'm paraphrasing it. He says to Eve, so, Eve, did, did God really say that? This is really what he meant. You're, mis, you're misunderstanding. Let me tell you what he really meant. And he started to twist her mind. And, and that happened. But the Israelites trusted Egypt, which was a big mistake. And the question is, as believers, have we ever put our trust in faulty alliances? Just curious, I mean, don't raise your hand, but right now, is there anything or anyone or any relationship that you're trusting in that you're kind of really not trusting in the Lord because it's tangible, you're holding on to it because it happens and it can be embarrassing. And Satan, again, is trying to humiliate us. The solution is repentance. That's the beautiful thing about God. We can anytime, anywhere, stop what we're doing and say, you know what, I want to change. I don't want to do this. I want to repent. I want to turn back towards God. And with God, it's over. He forgives our sins. So a little inoculation with each one of these sections. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him, acknowledge God in all of our ways, and He will direct our paths. We continue. Verse 7. I do have two standalone verses here because they are very powerful. So the Rabshakeh continues. But if you say to me, We trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Now, sometimes we can read that and go, whoa, 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 whoa what's he saying there? But two, it's an attack on solid spiritual leadership because Hezekiah, King Hezekiah had these reforms that he instituted. And it's amazing how much Satan knows about us. And when we try to use the right thing, that he'll subtly try to twist it to make us look bad. So here's the situation. The people, so God said, Jerusalem. You got to come to Jerusalem. The temple's there, sacrifices, the pilgrimages or the feasts. This is what I want. This is how you worship me. Well, the people started, you know, again, I do a lot of paraphrasing. Well, you know, I don't want to make the trip to Jerusalem. So in the northern kingdom, man, there was some friction. So they started building these high places. Well, we're going to worship God. Sounds good, doesn't it? We're going to worship God. Any way to God. I keep hearing that. 
No, God says Jerusalem. And they're saying, no, we're going to do it our way. And people do this. You know, in John 4, when a person who doesn't really know that much about Jesus or the Bible starts to read it, their eyes are open. Sometimes it's a shock. Jesus speaks to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he told her her way of worshiping God was all wrong. Wow, Jesus would do that? Yeah. But he did it in a loving way. At the end of the conversation, she comes to faith in him, which is an awesome thing. You know, today as leaders, I might say, well, you know, this, and, and it's not one denomination. It could be several. People, God says, don't make, right in the Ten Commandments, don't make any graven images, don't make any statues, any likeness of me, and bow down to worship them. People today, they make a statue of Jesus, and they bow down, and they kiss its feet. It's stone. That's an abomination to the Lord. That's right there in the Ten Commandments. Well, you're not being, uh, I'm not being anything. I didn't write this. You know what I'm saying? I just believe what's written. God says, this is the way to worship me. And we have a whole culture that's saying, well, we're going to do it our way. And God doesn't accept it. So it was an attack on spiritual leadership. Hezekiah takes down, now remember, it's psychological warfare. So the field commander, and we're going to find out later, he's speaking very loudly. He's speaking in Hebrew. He wants the people peeking through the gates and the, the warriors on the wall to hear what he's saying. He's trying to demoralize them because to, 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 get into, to get into a city was a lot of work. He could lose his soldiers. So if he could psych them out and they just give up and they walk away from Hezekiah, he won without a shot being fired. Okay, so this is what he's doing. And this is what he's trying to do about Hezekiah. Hey, don't blame me. Hezekiah is the one that messed all this up. You guys wanted to worship God, and he took it away from you. Again, he did the right thing, but the Reb Shek is trying to mess it up on him, right? And I have to say that, you know, we, we have to ask ourselves the question, what type of Christian do we want to be? Do we want to be the type of believer that, you know, they, you know and I, I hear people say this, well, I, I don't want to get out of bed, you know what I'm saying, the weather's not great. I'll watch that guy on Sunday morning, and he says things that move me. I feel so uplifted. Or do we want to be the type of Christian that really wants some meat? We want some, something that we can sink our teeth in, something about the Word, like the Bible says, the meat of the Word, not just milk. Milk is for babies. You know, in every church, there's those that want the pastor or the pastors to preach a very digestible message, and it's uplifting all the time. Instead of digging deep, maybe reading the chapter before they come to church, maybe if they miss a Sunday and they're away, you know, should we, we should get it afterwards. It's free. You can get it right off the website. Are we building a foundation in Isaiah, or do we just want to be uplifted for the moment? You know, do we just want to be carried through the week? Like, what type of believer do we want to be? Right? I mean, if we, if we hear something and we don't understand it, do we ask questions? Maybe once every two months I get an email about a question about the Bible. So I think, well, I don't, I don't really get any me emails. I must be doing a great job. Or some have the attitude they just don't care. It's Sunday. I got things to do after church. You know, I mean, and again, I have this discussion. It isn't about you have to come to this church. There's a lot of great churches out there. But some watch these, these guys on TV and, and it's like it's all about being uplifted. It made me feel good. And I say, well, what did you get out of it? I don't know, but I felt really good after hearing him. Well, what scripture did he use? Well, he said some scripture was like once there, but, but I feel really good. This is a problem because we can't always trust our feelings. You see what I'm saying? Our feelings can deceive us. And that's what these guys are counting on in their sermons. 
And it's, it's kind of scary. The, the, the Reb Sheka was making sense to who? Cultural believers. Not dedicated remnant, really godly people. He was appealing to them. Their flesh, right? Just like the prosperity gospel appeals to people's flesh today. I'll give you an example. I saw a, I saw a panel, and I, I don't know where it originated from, but one of my pastors sent it to me. Uh, may, maybe many of you know Ravi Zacharias. He's a theologian. I believe R.C. Sproul was in the panel, but there was a few of them together. And they actually talked about the Joel Osteen-type Christians. Yeah, I'm going there. You know, the book, Your Best Life Now. As John MacArthur said, it's only your best life now if you're going to hell afterwards. (laughs) The best life comes later, not now. No scripture, references to biblical things. It's all about what you can get out of God now. He's the celestial Santa Claus. He's the genie in the bottle. You know what I'm saying? There's no depth, folks. Do we study for promotions? Do we study for a new hobby that we took up? Could we apply some of that effort into the things of God? And what they were saying was that these type of Christians, they're shallow. And what happens is what they're experiencing, because they go out into the college campuses and stuff, they're finding out that a lot of young believers, especially, they don't know what they believe. And they're, they're suspect, or they're... they're not suspect, they're susceptible, they're targets for a lot of these false religions, and they just change religions because they don't know what they believe. And some of these, especially the, the, um, the you would call them pretty hardcore uh, Islamist evangelists, they seem to know a lot about, more about the Bible than some Christians. That's frightening. If that's a trend, look at Europe. It's becoming post-Christian. Europe's got all kinds of problems, folks. It isn't the Europe of 50 years ago. So... You know, we have to ask ourselves. Here, here's another thing. Again, attack on spiritual leadership. Attack on your leader, King Hezekiah. He's not doing you guys right. I'll give you a quick story, and I'll move to the, to the next point. Really solid church. I don't want to go into too many details. Not ours. Um, young woman is, is pulled away from a really bad lifestyle. She gets cleaned up. She starts coming to the church. She's uh, discipled by the leadership right, has a testimony. Some years later, a group of people comes into the church. They get her and some other weaker people. They get in their ear and they tell them, you know, the leadership doesn't really care about you. They don't have time for you. That's always the lie. That's another lie. There's some evil people that come into churches sowing discord. They pull her away, right? She's alienated now from the people who who nurtured her. And they find that she's a handful. So they drop her, and they drop the other difficult people in the church. Person feels completely alienated. A few months later, she died under suspicious uh, circumstances, going back into her old lifestyle. And that was told to me by a pastor who I trust very much. So, you know what? You start hearing people whispering. I've seen churches destroyed over this thing. Just nasty people, tares that come in, and they're, hey, look at me. They don't want to do the hard work that the leaders do. But they want to start grabbing people. It's a big social thing. It's almost like a social Ponzi scheme. So th- this is what they would do in Hezekiah. You know, I mean, it's, it's a tough thing. So verse 8, we continue. Now, therefore, I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses, if you're able on your part to put riders on them. How then will you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Three, an an attack on our abilities. Basically, he's saying, 
you people are pathetic. You Israelites, you guys are a joke. Even if you got 2,000 horses, you know, you couldn't even do anything. Your best warrior couldn't defeat our worst warrior. So it's, again, it's mind control. It's psychological warfare. But the truth is, at the end of the day, should we be trusting in our abilities? Now, I know Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through my abilities that I trust in. Uh, You're awake this morning. You know that verse. Awesome. (laughs) Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Somebody, if somebody insults me after church and tells me you're a joke for a pastor or you're a loser or whatever, I'd be like, yeah, but you know, God spoke through a donkey and if he can speak through a donkey, I'm fair game. So, you know, I mean, honestly, if you, know, if you, if you have any sense, you basically, no matter what good that you can do, if you're serving the Lord, you've got to give God the glory for it. You've got to give him the credit. These guys and these gals, they start hitting, hitting rock bottom like a shooting star when they start taking the glory for themselves. It's not something we should be doing. So three places, just so you know, three places. Well, let's talk about what believers go through. And I don't need a show of hands, but I'm sure that some of you in your quiet time have heard things like, you don't know where the thought originates from. You're a loser. You're just a loser. Look at you. I know what you did Saturday night. You shouldn't be going to that church. Three places that can come from. Number one, the world. The tangible world, a co-worker who just can't stand you because you're a believer trying to get you fired, a family member who alienates you from everybody else because you came to Christ. That's the world. The second is the flesh. The flesh is, unfortunately, because we're bound to this, this cursed planet until the Lord comes back and redeems the physical creation, our bodies betray us. Sometimes our minds betray us. Our memories can betray us. That's called the flesh. That's the old nature. And sometimes it rears its ugly head. And a thought pops in your head, right? The last one is the devil. Now, this is interesting because academia, if you were to give them this CD, for the most part, they'll laugh. What a uneducated, knuckle-dragging pastor you have. You know what I'm saying? Who believes in the devil anymore? That's a brilliant strategy for the devil. You know why? Because he's gotten a good part of the, of the populace to not believe in him. So now he can, you know, I've said this before. Those who don't believe in the devil are unwittingly used by him. That's the, that's the sick trick of what he does. For the rest of us, hopefully we have our eyes opened on who he is. So the world, the flesh, and the devil. A thought comes in, and I've had thoughts come in my mind. I'm no different than you. And I'm like, where the heck did that come from? That was horrible. Where, I mean, I'm... I'm I don't know, I'm digging a hole in my backyard and the thought comes in, it doesn't belong there. It's either, well, it's, there's nobody out there, it's, you know, but it's either the flesh or the devil. One of those two are trying to mess with me. So, you know, you, you can see what all that working there. But we continue on. Uh, verse 10, another standalone verse. He says, How have I now come up without the Lord against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, this is the bad guy, by the way, go up against this land and destroy it. Wow. Four. This one is the coup de grace. This one is an attack on your relationship with God. This is the one that makes you question if God really even loves you. Are you even saved? Are you even part of the church? And I'm going to tell you something. I meet people out in public and somebody disappeared for four months. Hey, how you been? 
Maybe they went through a tragedy, they went through something, they, they feel down on themselves. They don't feel that they belong in church. They don't belong in church with the rest of us sinners. I mean, come on, you know what I'm saying? Um, I would feel uncomfortable going to a church where everybody claimed to be perfect, but hopefully we don't do that. We're all sinners, okay? We belong together with their strength in the church. There's protection in the church. So the Rab Sheka basically saying God is on our side. We've been victorious over all of your cities. And they were right. This, why, this is why we can't always believe what we see. Right? We walk by faith and not by sight. We can see things that come completely deceive us. You ever watch a video on TV that you think you know what you saw, and then they show it again from a 90-degree angle, and you're like, no, that's not what I saw. There's a depth perception issue there. Right? So this is what's going on. You know, basically... If you're, if you're in Jerusalem, you're thinking, this guy's right. He's basically saying, the field commander, Yahweh, your God, he's on our side. Look at all the cities we destroyed. We just took Lachish. Now we're coming from you, and we're going to get you. So if you're a believer, you're looking out there and going, man, the Assyrians are like ants at a picnic, man. They're everywhere. Actually, they're out there eating, eating my vine right now while I'm stuck in this city. We can't walk by feelings. We can't walk by necessarily what we see. What does the Bible say? And this is why I get concerned about these experiential churches. Because what do they minister to? Our feelings. A part of us that's ambiguous. A part of us that's ambivalent. It's, it, it changes. You see what I'm saying? So this guy, unfortunately, is drunk on his own success. And of course, he's, you know, I believe it was that night he loses a, a large majority of his army. God just takes them out. Um, you know, Satan is a liar. And again, some things can appear to be a certain way, but they're not, right? Don't trust your feelings all the time. Um, discernment, spiritual discernment, it, it comes with maturity as we grow in being a believer, as we pray and seek the Lord, as we read our Bible, as we become Bible literate. We, we gain discernment. And again, going even back to the leadership issue, sometimes you know, with Hezekiah, hey, that's petty. You know, you might come to a church and say, well, what do they make these rules for as a church? That's, that's petty. I don't understand that procedure. I don't understand. But, but we're seeing things far in advance. We even do things in this church that uh, in certain situations we have to be very careful because we also have ins- an insurance that runs our church. Right? And we have to try to avoid accidents or certain personal interactions that could be damaging because it can affect us civilly. So, you know, if you have spiritual leadership that you trust, don't let, let people whisper in your ear. Don't let people kind of get in your ear about things. Ask questions. You know, we're all open to, to questions. Ask questions. Well, why do you guys do that? Well, it's, it's fine. It's not a problem. Verse 11, we continue. Then Eliakim, Shebna, and Joah said to the Rabshakeh, Check this out. Please speak to your servants in the Aramaic language, for we understand it. And do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who are on the wall. Well, of course, that was his plan, right? But the Rabshakeh said, Has my master sent me to your master and to you to speak these words and not to them who sit on the wall, who will eat and drink their own waste with you? Wow, that's pretty powerful. Again, the last one is, was an attack on your relationship with God. This one, five, is an attack on your feelings to torment you. 
to put you in fear. You know, the leaders were like, they know that the guys on the wall, the warriors, they know that the people at the gates are hearing this. And they know that it's probably demoralizing them. Psychological warfare. So they're like, please, don't just talk to us in Aramaic. Most of them don't know Aramaic. He's like, no, I'm going to talk in Hebrew because I want them to hear it too. And this is like domestic violence. You know, as a cop for 25 years, um, and, and it, it happens on both sides, but the victim is led to believe that they're just worth nothing. So, that, so the, uh, the aggressor continues to bully them and treat them horrifically because that person won't leave because they've been brainwashed to believe that they can't get any better. And I know some of you are, have been victims of domestic violence. It's sick. It's psychological warfare. It's getting, they're, like, they're, they're getting into your head, right? So this is what's happening. And speaking Hebrew, um, the devil will often speak our language, won't he? Right? He'll even speak scripture. <laughs> Look at the temptations. This is amazing. Right in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, and I'll, I'll go through these quickly and paraphrase them. You know, Jesus is hungry. He's been fasting. And the devil appears and tries to tempt him while he's in his human form. Of course, it doesn't work. And he says to Jesus, well, look at these stones. Why don't you just turn them into bread? Eve, you're the Messiah. You, you need your strength to be the Messiah. Eat some bread. You know, Jesus never did miracles to aggrandize himself. He always did miracles for the benefit of others. And he's like, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, Satan tries a second time. You want everybody to believe. Folks, these things sound good on their surface, don't they? You got to eat. You need your strength if you're going to do the Lord's will, right? Nothing wrong with that. He's making, he's making intellectual sense. He says the second time, well, you, you know, there's, there's going to be people that are going to reject you, Jesus. Again, I'm paraphrasing. If you, if you go to the top part of the temple and throw yourself down, well, Psalm 91 says the angels, God will give the angels charge over you and they'll bear you up lest your foot dash against the stone. Then those religious leaders will know that you're, Messiah, you're the Messiah. Jesus answered, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. Third one. Now, this one is, is really bad because, well, first of all, he goes, I have all the kingdoms of the earth. And when man forfeited the creation to Satan, well, Satan does. He's the, the prince of the power of the air. He does have a lot of control here until, Jesus, until the timing is right. Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You're going to get it anyway. Millennial kingdom. This is all good, Jesus. Just bow down and worship me now, and I'll give it you now. We can take a shortcut. And Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone. If we are shallow Christians, we're going to miss a lot of stuff. We're going to do things that seem good. There's a way that seems right to a man or a woman, and its end is in destruction. Rabshakeh basically is saying to them, I'll be more graphic, but not too graphic. We're going to surround you. We're going to wait it out. You're going to run out of food, and you're going to eat your own feces and drink your own urine. That's what he said. And this would have been the result. Had, God not, if, had the people not listened to God, God said, I'm going to deal with this. That's not going to happen. A lot of people were still in fear. They weren't hanging on God's words. They were hanging on the words of the enemy, and that's what the enemy does. And I'm going to tell you something. Most of us, I would say all of us in this room, most of the time he gets in your head is when you're alone. Amen? It's because he's a bully. That's what bullies do. They get you alone in the school, you know, in the courtyard in the school, and they start picking at you. That's what they do. That's what he does, and that's where he tries to get into your head. So... He has many tools at his disposal. Discouragement. That's a big one, folks. 
You know, and listen, time will tell whether I should be so honest from the pulpit. I, I suffer with discouragement. I'm not immune from it. He says things to me different than he says to you. The discouragement, despair, demoralization, fear, torment, isolation, loneliness. What does the scripture say? First John 4, 18. It says there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. So I like mathematics. I like equations. It's an inverse relationship. You're walking in God's love. You're really not fearing at that time. You're full of fear. You need to go back to your scripture. You need to, go, you need to start praying. Because when you're filled with fear, right, then what happens? You know, you, you, you're, you're lacking something that you need. And that's, that's important to look at. Um, and I'm just going to be honest with you. I think I'm pretty hardy. I grew up in a rough neighborhood. We were in a lot of fistfights. Two of my friends actually, on separate occasions, got their jaws wired shut. It was rough. I came from divorce, um, turned to things I shouldn't have turned to. I became a police officer, 25 years, seen the worst of life, become a pastor, 15 years, and uh, buried a lot of my friends. So I think I'm pretty hardy. But you know what, folks? I'm not immune from this stuff. I'm not immune. When I'm alone and a thought pops into my head, I just got to decide what I'm going to do with that thought. Am I going to believe it? Or am I going to fight it? Am I going to challenge it? Am I going to call on God? Am I going to read the scripture? You know, I, I have a Bible that's 25 years old and literally falling apart. Pages are coming out. I won't get rid of it because I have things written at when I be, wake up at 2 in the morning or 3 in the morning or I felt certain things and I would write in my Bible and I would read certain Psalms and I have notes in there and I've showed some people those notes. So this, is, this Bible is very personal to me. But this is my sword, folks. I can't fight without my sword. I can fight with my fist, but in the spiritual realm, I can't fight without my sword. I'm defenseless. This, folks, is your sword, right? Amen? Now, I'll just tell you a funny, a funny joke. Well, so this pastor is checking his mail from the week, and on Saturday afternoon, he opens up a letter. There's no return address. It's addressed to him. And it's folded in three pages, and he opens it up, and it doesn't say anything except the word, idiot. So he looks at it, <laughs> he folds it back up, he puts it in the envelope. Sunday morning, he goes to the pulpit, he opens it back up, and he says to the congregation, maybe you guys can help me out a little bit with this. I got a letter, there's no return address. Really, nothing was said in it except the person signed his name at the bottom. <laughs> Way to turn it around, right? <laughs> You know, he says to you, don't go to that church for various reasons. There's a problem with you. There's a problem with the leadership. Stay home. Isolate yourself. He says to me, don't go to that church and don't get behind that pulpit. You know what I'm saying? He says the same thing to me than to you, but he says it in a different way. And then if he can get me out of the pulpit, the next person who goes into the pulpit, he's going to leave me alone probably for a while because now I'm, I'm done. He's going to go to the next person and right on down the line, <laughs> you guys. So just keep that in mind back there. You know, they're all, the, my two pastors are pointing at each other, by the way. <laughs> like, so, so there you go. I, I tell you what, if you don't laugh in ministry, you die. Just saying. <laughs> That's one of my Joeisms. Okay, or verse 13, we continue. Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew and said, Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. 
Talk about blasphemous. Dude's making himself a god. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me by a present and come out to me, and every one of you will eat from his own vine and every one from his own fig tree, and every one of you will drink the waters of his own cistern. A big contrast to what he said that they would be eating and drinking if, if they didn't listen. Until I come and take you away to a, a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. And boy, some of those people, but when you're, when you're um, sacrificing and when you're you know, hungry, when you're exhausted, this Satan, so he uses the carrot and the stick. First he threatens them, then he says, listen, just come out. Forget about King Hezekiah. I'm going to take good care of you. Do I know if anybody sneaked out and, and went there? I don't know. I didn't get that far. I've read a lot of history here, but I didn't read any of that. I'm sure he would have impaled them. He just would have killed them, buried them somewhere, or thrown them out somewhere. Um, so Satan, number six, Satan's false promises. He's a liar. He tried to frighten. Now he tries to tempt. And, and again, at a point where they were just probably dreaming about grapes and, and, and figs and you know the grain. Oh my goodness, it's harvest time and all those soldiers are in my fields and I'm sitting here on rations, stale bread, etc. Right? Satan will try to get to you when you're at your lack. That's another form of psychological warfare. Tempting. And he'll try to tempt you when you're at, at, at your weakest. Now he did that to Jesus, but of course Jesus didn't succumb to it. Um, he always promises something better. He did that to Eve. Try to promise her something better. God's holding out on you. If you come my way, I'm going to hook you up. You're going to have knowledge. You're going to, I mean, that's like, that's like our culture, right? Oh, you could be smarter. There's these groups that, that come in purposely, and they, they actually find, because maybe it'll be easier for them, but they try to pick off believers from Bible-believing churches. And the way they try to get them is they try to offer this esoteric knowledge that, you know, you know your pastor, he's, he's teaching you the Bible, but there's some stuff you know, that, the, this whole secret that a lot of Christians were getting caught up in the secret. It's weird, okay? And it's like people are drawn to, oh, a secret, something I don't know. Tell me something, some knowledge I can gain, some secret that I didn't know, some, you know. And it's, it's, just, it's just a satanic trick. Last few verses, 18. Beware lest Hezekiah persuade you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has anyone, now check this out, he goes, has any one of the gods of the nations delivered it from the hand of the king of Assyria? Good point, using truth. All the other nations that the Assyrians gobbled up, but they were false gods. So what he's doing, he's, he's, he's lumping the true God in with all these false deities. Uh, where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Savarifim? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? He's getting closer. Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their countries from my hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand. But they held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe was over the household, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn, a sign of grief, and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. So, uh, seven out of seven is finally is an attack on God himself, right? An attack on God himself. Now, 
I, I think it's, you know, this, this is something that I could heed at times. <laughs> Just shut up, close your mouth, don't argue. So, you know, the Reb Sheka was going on and on and on. And these guys, they were quiet. The king told them, just don't answer. You know, um, the Bible tells us that when the archangel Michael was disputing with Satan, an equal archangel about the body of Moses, that Michael said, the Lord rebuke you. And he left it at that. You'll get yours. Just, I'm not, I'm not going to engage in this. And sometimes as believers, right, we just got to be quiet. And my wife will agree, you know, sometimes I just need to learn how to shut my mouth. Just close it, put a lock on it, you know what I'm saying? I'm getting better. <laughs> but, but so that's the thing. So the, the attack is on God. Now let me just give you a few promises um, from what God's Word says. And I've been giving you Scripture all throughout this sermon. We're just about done. As believers, people ask me this, especially new believers, can I ever be possessed? Can a Christian be possessed or controlled by satan or his demons the answer is no and we find that in first john 4 4 he can harass us from the outside but he can't get in because we're sealed with the holy spirit and the holy spirit's infinitely more powerful than the archangel satan because he's holy spirit is god um, b as believers we're promised eternal life john three sixteen. have you trusted in christ as your lord and savior well i don't care where the thoughts are coming from because this is a promise. This is like a, a crux promise in, in the Scripture. I mean, most Christians, e- even after five years, oh, I know everybody knows John 3.16, right? That's a big one. C, in Christ we can be victors, not victims. 1 Corinthians 15.57. You know, I mean, we have a society and a culture that's moving towards everybody's offended, everybody's a victim. But according to the Scripture, we can be victorious. What does that mean? 1 Corinthians 15, 57, I suggest you read the whole chapter. It's about, also it's about the resurrection. It's powerful stuff. And D, with the shield of faith, so the sword is my weapon. Well, how do I stop from getting a bunch of holes in me from the fiery darts of the evil one? I got to have a shield, don't I? You have to have an offensive and you have to have a defensive. So I could just picture the Apostle Paul just watching the troops go back and forth, being chained to a Roman guard at times and just analyzing the uniform of the Roman soldier. And then he took it in Ephesians 6 and made some analogies to the spiritual world. So the shield of faith, right, is the one that quenches those flaming arrows, the fiery darts of the, of the wicked one. And the helmet of salvation, what does the helmet of salvation cover? The head. What's in the head? The brain. The mind. So the helmet of salvation, once you know you're saved, everything moves from that point. Now you start that walk with the Lord. So the helmet of salvation is great because as the soldiers had helmets to protect their head from glancing blows, the spiritual helmet of salvation protects our mind. And this is why we need the Word of God. And lastly, E, Jesus tells us that we're going to have trouble in this world. I know, I know, Sunday morning they tell you everything's going to be great. You can have everything you want. Just say the prayer the right way and repeat it 20 times in in this way and in the King James English and, and... and God's obligated. He's not obligated. Jesus himself said, in this trouble, you'll have, in this world, you'll have trouble. He says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. It's just a matter of time for everything to play out. That's in John 16, 33. So the end of the story is what? Is the Assyrian army lost 185,000 troops. That's a lot of people. And guess what? The siege of Lachish was uh, Sennacherib's, his last big victory 
when he came to the children of Israel. He never got into Jerusalem. History bears that out. Why did that happen? Because in Lashish, they put a siege mound. They had catapults. They were scary dudes. And they got all the way up to the wall like the Romans, right? And they got in. And people fled. And they were, it was horrible. But it didn't happen in Jerusalem. God said, I will deliver you. So these are important life lessons for us because, you know, maybe our home's not going to be surrounded by a bunch of frightening people that are looking to get in. Okay, I'll give you that. But we will be subject to emotional, psychological warfare. You know, God is concerned about our bodies. He's concerned about our spirit. But he's also concerned about our emotional well-being, and we can't discount that. And I see some, even in our denomination, they don't want to talk about it. Well, that's a big problem because a lot of people struggle with depression, with anxiety, with isolation, with exhaustion. Hey, we're human beings. You can come into this church. I'm not going to judge you if you say those things. You know, because in my quiet time, he throws some arrows at me and one, one or two get past the shield. And I got to deal with that flaming arrow that's sticking out of my chest right now. So to use a spiritual analogy. But I just want to encourage you because... You know, this is something that we have to look at, the whole person, the trichotomous nature of a person, body, mind, and spirit, because right now that's where we are. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road, in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.